Hello everyone and welcome to the episode 105 of the Career Podcast. And yes, it's been a long time since I had an English-speaking guest or an English or had an English-speaking uh, episode. So yeah, we're back again with that good stuff. And our today's guest is Devon KD Lee, which actually we, we also have an extra special guest as well. If you could give us our own... Here comes TikTok. His name is TikTok. Yeah, yeah. their name is TikTok. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> we have another gender. <laughs> yeah, but he's gonna be with us as our, you know, assistant here on this yeah. episode. So emotional support animal. Exactly. So audio listeners, go check out check on the YouTube versions to know what we mean. It's a beautiful, majestic lizard that's just <laughs> chilling right on his right shoulder. And all right, so with that out of the way, let's get to the introduction. As I said, our, today, our today's guest is De- Devon K. Dilly. He's a visual development artist at Warner Bros. Animation from Los Angeles, California. Now, with that introduction out of the way, could you please tell us what, give us a little introduction on how we got into visual arts and design, like, you know, initially? Sure. Like like when I was uh, in high school and stuff? Exactly. Like, really what was early? a starting point? Yeah. Oh, boy. <clears throat> well, I mean, you know, everybody draws. Everybody draws. Um, but then I, I kind of just kept with it. And I think it actually had to do with my interest in animals that I wanted to keep drawing because I had this crazy idea. I would be like a like a field naturalist and I would like be like, you know, someone like Darwin and like go out and like explore, find animals and draw them in the wild. And so I kept on this like path of like trying to be like a scientist slash artist that I don't know what kind of romantic life that is, but, you know, just going out in the wild. Of course, my grades didn't really make that available to me. So I had to uh, um, concentrate my skills and I just focused on being the artist part, which in some would say is harder, but I don't, I'm not sure. But I think, um, we're easy, well, no, it's probably a lot easier because I didn't have to learn math, <laughs> but um, I stuck with it through high school because uh, that was really about my only skill set. And so besides knowing a bunch of facts about animals, and then I decided to pursue it uh, when going to art school and things like that. So when I when I left high school, I went to uh, an art school. And um, I think at the time I wanted to be more of a comic book artist because I was really into comic books uh, through high school. And then I slowly realized I was more into the designing aspect, like actually making things uh, look cool and world building and and things like that, rather than necessarily the writing aspect. (laughs) I just liked the performance and the world building. So I realized, man, what is this job? And I stumbled upon uh, things like in the entertainment industry, they have things like concept artists or visual development artists. And I was like, oh, this is this is what I want to do. This is definitely what I want to do. Um, Yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. Is that yeah, (laughs) makes sense. Yeah, um, awesome. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And actually, you hit two birds with one stone because then my next question was how did you, like, initially, were you going, did you know that from high school you wanted to become an artist and stuff like mm-hmm. that? But you said it all in one package. So, you know, you thank go. you so much. <laughs> and um, all right. So, the next question is what is your main branch of design that you're focusing on? I mean, of course, in the introduction, I said that you're a visual development artist right now. Mm-hmm. And but we like with this question i want to go in a little bit in depth you know what i mean yeah and basically tell us what your main branch of design is right now that you're focusing on currently and also tell us about your experience from the start of it until now oh boy well i've been in the industry since like 2006 so i've <laughs> it's been a, it might be a long it might be a long tale if i told you everything but um i started uh, in visual development, and I specifically wanted to do characters. That's what I was really interested in, and uh, designing characters. Uh, and I think it was because of like some sort of I don't know if it comes out of a need to like understanding people or connecting with people, but that's kind of like how I got into character design. I was like, and also of course animals. I was really into animals and beasts and monsters and things like that. So. Uh, art was kind of an outlet to kind of do Frankenstein stuff. Like you can draw dragons and you can like make up new animals and things like that. So that was all very interesting. And as a result, I realized that you could do that as a character designer and like doing things like that in concept art where you're like making monsters and stuff like that. 
And the best outlet for that kind of thing was at the time was video games. And I, I was also a very avid video game player. So uh, I started in the in the game space um, and most of my career was in the game space. Uh, uh, and most of it was doing things like character design and also, of course, just random concept art. Like I just like designing in general, like I like designing um props and I like designing uh, sets and things like that as well. But it's just that characters just, you know, they speak to me a little bit better. Oh, sorry. And uh, I think, um, I think characters also help me um, kind of just understand, you know, they help me understand myself a little bit better and they help me understand other people better. It's just very interesting, uh, like line of, line of work, I think, like the way that you draw from experiences and apply it to character art is is like really fascinating to me. So I, I like to uh, mostly do character design. And um, yeah, my first studio, would you like, should I talk about my like my work experience kind of thing? Like my, yeah, sure, 100%. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, let's see. Ooh, 2006. So I, I, st- my, I got my first job out of art school. Uh, I was went to art school in Rhode Island. And then um, I started working in Boston, sitting in, uh, in Massachusetts, uh, in the uh, United States. And uh, it's, it's, it was a very dry, it wasn't a big, there's a lot of video game companies, there's like maybe three. And um, and there wasn't a lot of video game companies with the inside of New York City, which is where I'm, I'm from. I, I was raised in New York City. So it wasn't really like an industry. Uh, it wasn't like a booming video game industry. But it, but there was Turbine and there was Harmonix. And uh, I think Demiurge was another game studio there. And I just applied to basically any game studio within, you know, distant within a four hour drive of me. And then and then I eventually moved to Boston and, and took the job. Um, not as a, not as a designer, but I got it, I got started as a, uh, texture artist. So I was designing, I was like painting, uh, textures for an MMO called Lord of the Rings online. Uh, and so that was a really fun first project for me because, um, it was based on Lord of the Rings, but since the movie had not really been established at that point, like the series was out, I think, but at that time, Lord of the Rings had started in development before the films came out. So what ended up happening was uh, it wasn't art directed by the films. It wasn't art directed by any of the other art books of Lord of the Rings. So we could make up a lot of the stuff. Uh, so as a, as a junior artist working on a project where everything was kind of like made up, but based off of like a very familiar franchise like lord of the rings it was easy for me to get into um and some of my first work was just doing texture variants of characters so i would take uh like a low-res models right of like a costume and then i would like repaint it to look like something else like a new brand new content right and so it was like i was it was like a cheap and easy way to make like new new content and so i got really good at painting realistic textures on these kind of like models and stuff and that was actually my first kind of like designing wet feet. That's how I kind of got my, my first chops doing design work was by working on these like texture models. Um, and then eventually, uh, the the company had some layoffs. And so I, I was, I was hired cheap as, as a concept artist. So it was was kind of like a opportunistic thing. Um, and you know, it was just in the place at the right time, I guess. Um, and I was just able to, uh, uh, kind of sneak in that way. And I became uh, a concept artist after about eight months. And then I stayed at, at that company for like, t- you know, two more years, basically. And so that was kind of what my first gig was in the industry. Um, yeah, that helps. <laughs> kind of understand. It's kind of a, a weird, it's kind of a weird path. But I think it's also like, it's going to sound familiar to a lot of people that are designers, like how that happens. It's not really like, easy to get your foot in the door. And then like, once you get in, it's like, you know, it doesn't depend on what kind of job you get, what kind of job you get, as long as you get in. Because for me, just being able to understand the industry and, you know, learning how to work with people, like all that stuff, all really basic stuff that like, you know, nobody really thinks about, like, you know, you have to be able to communicate and have like a schedule, all those things I was just not used to. Cause I was, it was really like one of my earliest kind of jobs working as a creative professional. So, um, yeah, it was a very, very great experience for me. Turbine was a great company too to start learning at. Uh, yeah. Um, there's something I'm wondering while we were talking in about yeah, this sure. whole journey is that you said you started at 2006 and you mm-hmm. started right after art school, right? Yeah. 
So, and you also said you dropped out of high schools to pursue art school, right? No, no, I'm not. No, I didn't drop out. I did get kicked out of a high school. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I did so poorly and misbehaved so, so much that I got kind of, I got kind of kicked out of a school and I had to like transfer <laughs> schools. That was a thing that happened, but I, I didn't get, I didn't drop high school. I, I did get my diploma eventually. Oh, awesome. So I assume you entered the job market at 18, right? No, no, I, no, uh, art school I, I, for me ended it when I was like in my twenties. So it was, I was 20, 20, 21, I think, or 20 oh, or awesome. 21. Yeah. You know why I say awesome? Why? Because, uh, <laughs> why is that awesome? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome because the people, it, it, that's actually really good content for the podcast as well, because that's one of my mm. goals is to show different paths that people took, you know, to get to, mm. you know, in this whole art, art industry and stuff like that. And it's actually quite refreshing for me, you know, to, to see, you know, people who've had like, you know, non, uh, like in normal, non-typical, you know, ways to get, you know, to, mm. to get, got their foot into the industry. honestly i kind of got shocked that you said your 20s like it's nothing out of common you know i don't think it's anything bad but Mm -hmm. i was like you know good for you like honestly like you know for anyone who's listening like you know you have time like you can start anytime you want i think i think people start earlier than i do nowadays like they know what they want to do much earlier i didn't even know the job exists when i was 18 i didn't know concept art was really a thing you know like i didn't know because at the time in 2006, there wasn't as much of an industry for that kind of thing as it was nearly as much as there is now. Um, there was like the mass, uh, there was like conceptart.org, I would think was the only, was my first introduction to like what concept art was. And so like at the time there was not so there was no social media. There was no like, you know, I mean, other than like MySpace, I guess. <laughs> and then and then there was uh, there wasn't really like a lot of outlets for me to like discover what I wanted to do. And really, I, I, I forget her name, but I have to give a lot of props to my uh, uh, like college. What do you call a college uh, counselor person? The person that kind of recommends art school to you and she recommended that i go to art school so you know before that i was like uh i'll be i'll just be an independent artist you know and just do whatever it is i do maybe i'll work in comics or something and then her convincing me to go to an art school was really kind of showed me how to actually like oh this is a this is a thing i can do so i do give props to that um to being able to talk to someone that, you know, I was, I was lucky that someone was able to convince me. And also that my, you know, my parents were willing to <laughs> trust me to do this. I mean, honestly, they didn't have much of a choice because I wasn't good at anything else. So it wasn't like I was, you know, going to be a doctor or anything. Um, so they're like, uh, well, if this is the way you want to make money, as long as you can do it, I was like, I can do it. So um, I, I have, I have uh, a lot of appreciation for my parents uh, allowing me to do that too. I know not everyone has um, fortunate enough yeah. to to have like uh parents that are accepting of that lifestyle because it is very it is very demanding and it's also pretty pretty difficult and i think it um it's it's hard to make a living as an artist it's not it's not easy it's still hard for me now so i think um i'm, I, I'm very fortunate in a lot of ways and i i accept that uh, the privileges that i had and I, I really think not everyone like it's good that if you you know what you want to do early because then you can really kind of focus and like own your abilities to do that specific thing. Um, on the on the flip side of that, I do think if you if you feel like you know exactly what you want to do at a really young age, I think it can be it, it can also be a little limiting because it'll 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 keep you from thinking outside the box a little bit um, in some ways. So I appreciate that I at least. Uh, figured out what I wanted to do like after school, like into my 20s, because then I felt like, you know, at, at 21, I felt a little bit more confident that I wanted to do concept art, not comic books. If I had waited in those four years, I, w- I might have had a completely different career path. So it's kind of funny when I think about it like that, like I could have been a completely different kind of artist. Like I probably still would have been an artist, but like, I don't know if I would have been a designer. Yeah, that's actually kind of like your experience kind of could be it eye-opening for a lot of people i think personally hmm. because a lot of people like for example they're they're admit they're admit stuff like for example their computer science you know degree and they're like hmm. media game design and they're like hey i kind of enjoy the art side more 
And they're like, right. oh, shit, I need to finish this. Then it's late and I can't. I just have to stick to these computers. And so like, there's a lot of, you know, cases like this that happen. And I yes. think and I think it's really valuable to, you know, for them to hear the stories of, you know, artists like, you know, the story you had, you know, and other people. I think it's it was really eye-opening. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. Yeah. It's good and, to share that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And the next question is kind of interesting. Um, what was the first art job paycheck you ever got what was Oof. it what was it for and how did you feel at the time uh the first i mean so i was before art school i was still i was working as an artist and my dad my my, my father is a musician and he has a lot of musician friends so my first paid gig was doing an album cover for my my father's friends like indie rock band and so that was like my first paid paid gig was was doing that so yeah that i think i'm trying to remember if i if i got paid i mean i, I think i got paid for some other random things too I, I i did drawings for like a religious pamphlet at one point i did drawings for <laughs> um like flyers and things like that so those are the kind of things i initially got paid to do you know nothing related to what i do now really uh, but those are the first art-related gigs that I did, and they kind of—I guess they kind of got my foot, my feet wet in terms of like, I guess like understanding my worth as an artist. Like, I mean, you're not going to pay me just fifteen dollars; you're going to pay me a hundred dollars to do a thing. So that's for, you know, for me, that was like, whoa, holy crap, a hundred bucks for a drawing. And I think that was also kind of helped me put put me put me in the direction of like, oh, I can get paid for, to do something like this. You know, I can be paid to draw. So that was that was motivating as well. Um, yeah, that I would say that's probably the earliest thing I can remember is is doing that album cover. Um, any menial amount of uh, money, <laughs> hundred bucks, is pretty nice when you're like sixteen. <laughs> so, yeah. And fun fact: Did you know that? Uh, wait, yes, two and a half months of work of a waiter in Iran is hundred dollars right now. Mm. Yeah. The economy is that trash. Just a fun fact for anyone who's listening and is not in one of my Iranian um, podcast listeners. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of interesting when you realize this stuff. Like, you know. It's, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, service industry in, in uh, the United States is pretty, is very, very tip dependent. Like, they pay them absolute trash and then they have to make it all up with tips, which is a bizarre bizarre tradition <laughs> i think you know instead of just paying people what they're worth but it is yeah, what it is. You're ex yeah exactly right but the thing is no the main thing about what i said was that um it's hundred dollars for two months and a half two months and a half yeah hundred dollars yeah. right now and and that's not the worst part um you basically make enough to survive like that Hmm. in iran yeah so, so the cost of living is a little is, is, is a little okay. is a bit of an overstatement but understatement over, i don't know it's basically a lot more higher than it should be like here's hmm. the thing a university professor does just makes barely barely makes enough to uh, education's always underpaid <laughs> yeah it's pretty bad yeah, but it's interesting actually. And, and actually, there's there's no tipping culture in Iran. I mean, some people, you know, they they've learned and you know they tip the waiters and stuff like that. And I actually used to work as a waiter in Iran for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people sometimes you know tip me, but in general, there's no even tipping in Iran. Hmm. But it's interesting, you know. Some but another fun fact about Iran. Now there's a negative thing. Now that I'm gonna say positive to balance it out. Okay. Um. So you know, as as like everyone else you know who likes art and you know follows a lot of people on instagram or you know on social media and other stuff you also follow people from your own country and you know people near you you know it's just mm -hmm. an, you know a natural thing you want it's kind of helps you see yourself in the future you know in their shoes kind of oh, like sure, that, you yeah. know and of course i'm yeah and of course i naturally had uh, and i still do follow a lot of iranian artists and i i always i I always was like, he, of course, there, I know a lot of Iranian artists and I follow a lot of Iranian artists because of that. 
But then mm-hmm. I had Russia Alam on, I think, episode 20 on the podcast. And she t- asked me, why there are so many Iranians asking me our stuff? Like, why do you do you guys mm-hmm. love art or something? And and I, and when I noticed the similarity in Turkey, when, where I'm living, Iran has a lot of artists, a lot, like a lot, like in every mm-hmm. field. Like, it's, it's just so weird. I mean, and you can see a lot of them, like, you know, in the industries, you know, outside in Europe and America as well, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm always surprised. Like, when I go on, like, Instagram, for instance, and I'm just, like, going through stuff, people, I mean, I remember when I was younger, I was only being, I thought all artists came from America and Europe. And then and there were, like, maybe some anime artists. And then, you know, you get, and then, like, years later, there, it's like completely different. Like the landscape of art education has changed a lot. Like everyone is being exposed to online stuff where people can like learn whole curriculums entirely online, which is very useful. Um, and that's really kind of opened up the kind of gate gateway for a lot of people. I, th- I think that's definitely helped. And also people can be paid, uh, you know, things that are American rates or something like that, or, or the rates from a, n- a different country. And then, you know, for them, that that's like, you know, a benefit and then also like you can just get clients from like just around the world is like really convenient <laughs> i really enjoy that before me before that i was just like oh i can only work at the three companies that are right next to me but now i can work i can work in in anywhere i can work you know for chinese company i can work for a french company or or whatever and that's that's like very it's a lot more flexible i think right now is like a really good time to be uh in our industry i think so yeah i think so too and um all right the next question is kind of an interesting one as well um i'm gonna talk about the works you do for you know the studio you're working with which in case right now i assume is warner warner brothers mm-hmm. um or, or just in general when you're working in a studio how does your design process usually go anytime you want to start working on a project like from zero to hundred like when there's mm-hmm. an idea here and it gets you know to the finished mm-hmm. you know final prod product you know well how does your process that, and pipeline go yeah that process i think that process changes a lot depending on the project actually because each project has a different way that you interact with an art director some art directors are like illustrators themselves and they want to be very hands-on with all the de- all the design stuff some of them are very hands-off some of them i mean i've worked at some companies that don't even have art directors where we just kind of end up art directing ourselves um, at Warner brothers there, we have an art director and we also have like showrunners and producers and things like that. And, and so when you design something, it has to go through this like gauntlet of, of people that are like reviewing content. So, um, and you may, you know, and, and like, you know, even though like you're designing the thing, there's still like uh, other artists that you're working with as well. So there's definitely a more, a much more collaborative aspect in the project and what I'm doing now. Whereas like, you know, like I might be taking something somebody else did and then redesigning it and then passing it back. And then, uh, or in the initial stages, we might, you know, just do pie in the sky kind of concepts. And then eventually they got, they get kind of weeded out and they get picked, you know, in a particular way. Um, and also the show has a very particular style. So, um, we, uh, you know, no matter what, you're kind of changing the way you, you know, for, for me, I'm adapting the way I draw to whatever project I'm on, uh, and like trying to find the essence of that while kind of still retaining my own identity. So I try and, um, you know, continue the back and forth, but you know, it's, it's in the, in the project I'm in now, it's very much like I'm working on a, on a team of uh, visual development artists. And then we're working under the art director. Uh, I'm, I, I, I mostly do character artwork, but I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much doing a lot of stuff for the visual development and, uh, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a fun process. It hasn't, cause it's also because I'm friends, uh, you know, uh, uh, with a lot of the people I work with and that that's kind of helpful that I can have like a more of a, a good repertoire to have good, you know, feedback, like honest feedback with them and things like that. So, um, you know, it really depends on the project. <laughs> uh, did you, I, mean, I could talk about, I, I could talk a little bit about specifically Warner Brothers. Um, yeah, sure. But uh, I mean, like Warner Brothers is uh, working on um, uh, Gremlins, Secret of the Mogwai, which is based on uh, a movie from from the 80s. It, it was, I think it was, I think it was a movie in 1984, which is, you know, my birthday. But it was, um, 
I mean, birth year. And uh, Gremlins is was kind of in, in the United States is is famous for um, creating the PG thirteen rating, or, or at least contributing to it because it wasn't like you know it wasn't like outright violent, but there was enough violence where they were like mm, maybe like seven year olds shouldn't watch this. <laughs> so there's a weird balance when you're like taking something like that and then you're trying to turn it into a children's television show uh, because it's like, you know, what are you censoring or like, what are you, what are you keeping? Like, you know, uh, in the original, there was no blood and, you know, we don't really have a lot of blood, but there is like, you know, gremlins being put in blenders and things like that. And gremlins are like these little monsters that kind of run around. So there's that kind of end of the art direction, which is like talking about the audience and like adapting it. Um, and then there's also just the fact that it's based on an IP and it has to be like recognizable. So it's like these characters, um, you know, if we even if they're abstracted or, or, you know, however stylized they get, they still have to be like, those are gremlins, you know. So there's an aspect of like taking what's iconic about the characters and um, adapting them to this like new kind of like much more uh, uh, different, uh, more abstract style because it's like we're not doing puppets anymore. Now they're like, you know like 3d characters so um i think that's kind of also part of it uh and what else i suppose i I think i think on the project i'm on now it's like we're also working with uh uh outsourcing studios We're, we're not outsourcing studios but like you know our collaborators our collaborative studios which are um uh in europe we're working with a couple studios in europe and uh so part of that is also how we're communicating with them and so when we're art directing the uh the characters or the props or anything like that it has to be done in a way that they understand it so a lot of it a lot of the art direction comes down to just trying to make assets for them that are understandable and easy to replicate which means a lot of detail work on our end to like make sure that we have everything really precise and and very specific so that they get it right um and so that they understand what we're trying to do I think that's uh, yeah, that's probably the most unique part about this project. All right, awesome. And I think I'm hearing a little bit of a squeeze. Is that Dick Dog making sound? Oh, this maybe could be. She she does hiss sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. She does, she doesn't really do lizard ASMR or anything like that. Oh, <laughs> I'll do this oh the tongue flick is cute. Yeah, they're called oh. um, blue tongue skinks for re- for obvious reasons. <laughs> they, have, they have pretty blue tongues. Yeah, so that's awesome. Hi. Yeah. You know, I said earlier I was obsessed with animals, and then that kind of just translated into Hello. me. Thank you for a the bunch time, <laughs> Yeah. What does it eat? Uh, dog food. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it's a. This is omnivorous, so they they'll, they'll honestly eat anything, a lot of things humans eat. But I feed her like these special sausages, special reptile sausages. <laughs> <laughs> and they're made from like dandelion greens and quail and like really nice ingredients. So I try and take care of good, good care of my reptiles and my, awesome. and my pets in general. How long do yeah. they live for? How long? They can live for like 20 to 30 years. Oh, so awesome. Awesome. Longer than a dog or cat for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I all right cats now. Too, of course. <laughs> oh, you have cats? Oh, yeah. I got a couple. Don't yeah. they attack it? No, they don't even know what it is. They're just kind of like freaked out. But I have good cats. My my cats are pretty good. They're I might polite have, I, cats. Yeah, I've 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 polite cats. I've had cats in the past that would just do crazy crap. But these two are assholes. Fine. But yeah, I've had kind. some real asshole cats. But these two are fine. Uh, they're a blessing compared to the other cats I've had. <laughs> All right, yeah. awesome. Now, actually, on um, I think the last post you have on your Instagram is uh, about Lightbox that you oh, yeah. kind of attended. And is this still going on or is it over? No, it's over. It was. It went on for. It goes on for about a week. It goes. I think it was from like Tuesday to Sunday. Uh, ran by Bobby Chu, who is uh, also, also an awesome artist and art educator. He runs like Imaginism Studios. Um, and so, uh, and Lightbox is like this, basically like an artist convention thing. I think you can actually see a lot of their videos still on their, on their website. Uh, I was doing a panel. I did a panel on character design stuff. Um, and I was also doing some drawing stuff, but, I, uh, it's just a really fun place to like connect with people and talk with our art- artists, you know, especially after lockdown, it's just been like in the, in the States, it's just been going on forever. So, um, it's been nice being able to talk to other artists and like share experiences and things like that. And like, 
talk about how the industry is changing and things like that. It's, it's a nice place to catch up with people and also, you know, just make connections and just draw together. Yeah. All that stuff. So good time. All right. Awesome. And actually I want to ask you about something related to this, that you, that you kind of said you had a panel and you thought a bit about characters. And I want to ask you, have you ever had like, aside from this, you know, even before experiences when it came to teaching art Hmm. and is there any, a specific thing or a memory you have or something you want to say to artists who might who, artists who are listening who will want to be teachers you know anything like you teachers. know alongside those lines you know and also from your experience of teaching as well yeah um well i started doing art education a few years ago i work i work with uh, workshop academy which is a uh, a company in Seattle. I used to live in Seattle. And so this uh, guy named Josh Cow, who's also an awesome, awesome artist. Uh, I think he's working on, he's working at Microsoft. He's doing like Halo stuff. And he started, he just started an art education uh, school in Seattle because for whatever reason, even though Seattle has a lot of video game companies, there's really no like education for like art entertainment stuff. So he just decided to make one. It was like, excellent. So um, I, I, I started teaching character design there in person and I did that for a few semesters. And I would say like for people that are art, artists that are trying to get into art education, like you learn a lot. I learned a lot in my first year because when you, when you're trying to build a curriculum, you kind of have to deconstruct all the stuff that's going on in your head. Some things that you take for granted, some things that you didn't even realize, like, like how to communicate information to another person. You have to like organize all of that, make bullet points, make it like clear for people to understand, you know, and when I, when I'm trying to explain my thoughts to another person, it doesn't always come out exactly the way I want it. And so I, I, I benefited a lot from planning and being able to have like a good slideshow. And then when I was able to like see my thoughts on a slideshow and like go through it, I was like, oh, okay. It's, it almost like was clarifying things that I was trying to think about. So it is that it also helps me as an artist, um, being an art educator, because I'm kind of like, not only am I breaking stuff down for myself to understand better, but I'm also kind of, uh, holding myself up to the standard of me being an art educator, where it's like, I have to listen to the things I'm teaching, right? I can't just be like saying this stuff, <laughs> like I should be able to also practice it. So that's also another aspect of art education that is very eye opening, I think, um, and then, of course, it's very rewarding to just communicate with other artists and like people that are coming from all different walks of life, especially with online teaching, which I've been doing more for the past couple of years. Like I'm getting a lot more experience from with artists from a lot of different places, like what I was saying before, where it's just like art education has is really reaching everywhere around the globe. So now I have students in like China, I have students in Korea and I have students, uh, you know, also in, in the States and, and, uh, and, um, just like all around the world, like, you know, South America, it's been really kind of cool that way. And, you know, a lot of them are, are struggling because the, maybe their art industry is just not as strong as it is in the States. And they're looking for like, kind of like how to, how to like break in or how to do those things. And it just kind of reminded, reminds me of like, you know, when I was trying to do that, you know, it was, it was pretty privileged that I was able to just like apply to a company that was like four hours away. Like, like in hindsight, it wasn't really that difficult c- compared to like someone who like has no industry in their country. And so, you know, me trying to navigate that has also been interesting, like listening to like, you know, different the ways different artists in different countries are kind of like their, their strategies and trying to, um, you know, get on social media or like reach out to people on, on the internet and stuff like that. You know, things like, honestly, things like the Lightbox studio, Lightbox event, you know, events like that are really, are really great and beneficial for, um, people around like international students, because, uh, there's a lot of just access to a lot of resources, um, that, you know, it might be difficult to get where they are. So I think our online art education has really kind of, uh, changed a lot of the landscape of, of the art industry. I think like doing a lot of this more online stuff is, is great. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Did I answer awesome. question? Yeah, tell. you did. Okay. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. And um, the next question is kind of like, it's something kind of tricky. All right. I'm just going to ask it. I'm just, I'm going to no stop problem. like, you know, making an introduction for it. Who are your favorite artists and designers that have inspired you the most? 
Oh gosh. Nah, I think you can see why I said tricky. That is tricky. Um, well, let me. I'm just like looking at my bookshelf right now. <laughs> uh, well, okay. When I was when I was really young, I was really into comic book artists. I was really into people like like uh, Michael Turner and like Scott Campbell, Jim Lee, and things like that. I was I was a big image guy. Todd McFarlane, things like that. I was really into like. Uh, edgy comics and like or underground comics i read a lot of uh alien comics so i was really like plunkett and things like that and some other wood Wood ring uh was another artist i was following a lot and so like um those were like my earliest influences and also my early influences of like looking at other kind of like uh international comics i was like i read tintin and um i was also really into mobius comics and things like that like uh blueberry and uh like and a lot a lot of the um <laughs> a lot a lot of his crazier art books i was really into uh who else was i into oh louis i was also in a pinup art so i was really into uh like uh and and also like just in general like you know erotic art so i was really into uh louis royal he, he was like a, he was like a big one and uh and I was also, and as a result of getting into that, I kind of started getting into like um, fashion people. So I started fo- following fashion designers like Alexander McQueen and and Aiko Ishioka and things like that. And then when I went to art school, like then that really opened up my mind to a lot of different artists. And I really started getting to like actual designers and things like that. You know, uh, like Ian McKay and um, uh, who else? Like just people that really inspired me like from video game artists, like, uh, you know, street fighter artists was also really big, uh, influence on me. So I've actually, I feel like I've had a pretty varied, um, amount of inspiration when I was younger. And that kind of shows in my work, I think, because I'm kind of like doing, I try and do a lot of things. I like, I'm like a Jack of all trades, master of none. Um, I was also into like comics, like just, I mean, by that, I mean, comic strips. I was into like Gary Larson, uh, designer of the far side, like just funny stuff. Um, you know, like Calvin and Hobbes and things like that. Um, you know, and also just like funny, just like funny games, like, you know, uh, earthworm Jim and, um, and, and things like that. You know, I didn't really, I, I didn't, I like Disney films, but they weren't really, I didn't feel like they were really a influence on me. But then when I discovered like alternative animation, <laughs> like basically like any anime or, and also just like other artists, like, you know, um, like Land Before Time, uh, like, and, and those kind of movies, those kind of had a pretty big impact on me. Um, yeah, I would say like almost movies have a bigger impact on me than necessarily artists sometimes because I remember movies more vividly than um, than necessarily individual drawings, you know. And I think that's why I kind of really got into more design work because I was really into more of the final product rather than like just isolated illustrations. So like when I saw Aliens, you know, and I really got obsessed with H.R. Giger and you know, I was, and I was like, oh, he, he was just like a fine artist. And then they just like hired him as a designer on this project. And so I think, I mean, actually he was an industrial designer as well, but I, so he already had that design sense. And so like, I think that was also part of that inspiration is listening to, uh, how guys like that kind of got their start, you know, and things. And, um, so I think that those were also a huge inspiration for me. Um, trying to think of somebody else. Uh, yeah, Amano from the Final Fantasy series. Um, uh, hmm. Yeah, I, I pretty much named a bunch of people like that. I think that's enough. <laughs> those are, I would say those are some of my major influences, I would say. All right. And actually, I saw a post on your Instagram that you actually made a book like back in 2019. Oh, creating. What? creating characters for the inter- entertainment industry. Oh yeah, I, I didn't actually create that. I was invited to do it. And um, oh. so I was more, it was me and I was collaborating with this, um, this, uh, what, I forget what his name was, Jonathan, but how are you doing? Uh, and and I, and he was, so he was kind of acting as like an art director and I was working as, you know, I was, I was kind of working as the character designer, designing for, um, like uh, games, like designing for games. So it's, it, was, it was something like 
where he, he took three artists and then he did, did okay, design a dragon for video games, design a dragon for entertainment television, and then like draw and then like design it for like another medium. So I was like the video game guy. And so I was like designing uh, all my things for that kind of medium. Although, I mean, it wasn't really that strict, but, you know, but there's definitely things to consider when you're designing for different mediums. Like, you know, for a video game versus like a children's animation, I mean, there's definitely going to be different art direction in general. Even if it's a children's action video game, it still has different direction than a children's live television show, for instance. Um, And I guess what I mean by that is like, there's just different components. Like when you're playing a character, you have to be a lot more interactive with that character so there's a lot more immersion in like you investing in the character and the animations having all that those kind of fun interactions are kind of a really big part of designing a successful video game character whereas maybe an animation character you might have to worry more about like you know are they communicating clearly or do they have like a range of expression on their face that can you know really um, communicate well to a younger audience and things like that so uh, i think those are those are kind of like the major points of that book it was it was fun to do it's also one of those things where it's kind of like lays out like um kind of a groundwork for like how what your thought process while designing a, a game character can be so it kind of so if you didn't have like a basis for like you know where do i start you know i think this it's a good it's a good book to kind of break it down in terms of like here are the you know here's some uh Here's some key words you can use as a jumping off point. And then like what kind of imagery you might kind of pull from that. And then later on, like what kind of, uh, you know, how do you kind of resolve that into a final image kind of a thing. And, um, and it goes through the whole process of like drawing the characters and then drawing the expression sheets and then drawing like the action poses. So it puts, it puts it through the whole process. Yeah. So I'd say it's a good thing to practice with. All right, and um, actually, before actually, I usually put this stuff for the end of the podcast, but I actually want is, I'm we're not at the end of the podcast, by the way, but I just want to say now for anyone who's listening right now, um, there's a link on uh, Mr. KD Lee's Instagram bio, which is which gets to an imprint page, I think, yeah, imprint.com page, and you can check out, you know, maybe buy and or or order print to support artists and not just you know for supporting the artisan or maybe decorate your house the color palettes look good for you know decorations yeah in your you know in, for interior for design and stuff like that you know <laughs> my pleasure you're welcome <laughs> and uh yeah definitely check that out and actually like the ah uh, i wish I wish the Zencaster had a thing that I could share screen live, but yeah, mm. just just go just go to the link, you know, just go 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 now now. Go on, right. go on my Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. G o r r e m. Yeah, I'll put it in the caption. I'll definitely put the um the Instagram on the on the caption, you know, so no worries Thank about you. that. And all right, so with that added, way, let's move on to the next question. Um, mm-hmm. I usually ask this question from people who actually have industry um, professional experience. And the question is, any advice and tips for a good portfolio and resume for artists? Hmm. For for, um, for for visual development? For character design? Yes. Well, I mean, so, so I think that's a big part of it is kind of understanding specifically what you're into and then really tailoring it for that. I think sometimes it can be if you have a kind of scattered portfolio, it might not look focused. Um, and I think that's good for some positions like visual development, where you're basically doing everything. You're designing characters, you're designing props, you're designing environments. Um, but I think it's important that if you specifically want to do like character design, you really have to have a really strong character design portfolio uh, prepared. Um that means doing a variety of characters. Like you can't just be drawing the same few archetypes over and over again. You can't just draw only pinups. I mean, the, the, okay. So the fascinating thing about about this is, I think nowadays you can really get a job doing anything as long as you specialize in it. Like I've seen people online that just do portraits of girls every day, and they make a very handsome living doing that. Like you can do it. It's totally possible. It depends on your business model. Um, you don't necessarily need a resume. You could just like do your own business being particularly good at a thing. Um, but if you're actually trying to apply in the entertainment industry, 
then what you're, you're the thing with that is you're trying to convince other people that you're good. So like other people that may not necessarily be artists even. So you really have to have a organized uh, approach, I think. And that comes down to if you're doing character stuff, you know, you have to have um, orthographs like turnarounds and things like that. You have to do expression sheets, action poses. You have to show how flexible your style is or how specific it is. Um, can you adapt to things? Um, you know, it, the, the thing with doing character work is, you know, usually there's, all, there's not as much character work for some projects as there are others. Like for, for instance, like a, a massively multiplayer online game where you need tons of content over and over and over again. Or like, you know, a game like League of Legends where you just need character art over and over and over again. Those are, one of, those are some of the few jobs where you're actually demanding character art constantly and it's in one style. Now, me as a contract artist, I'm working on MMOs. I'm working on, I would work on, uh, you know, MOBA games. I would work on animation. And so for me to have my profession and the way I like to work, I have a range of styles. I have a range of character designs that I like to do. And that gives me more options. So more different, I get a, I get a lot more clients from, you know, a variety of different stuff. And I, I like it that way. Um, and it kind of keeps me kind of motivated to like, just kind of like learn different styles and adapt and things like that. You know, so that's, that's just like one path. I wouldn't say it's like the path, but I think if you really want to do character design, it's good to have a good range. Um, being able to, because character art encompasses not just, you know, can you draw, uh, you know, cute pinups or like just monsters. Usually you have to do a bunch of other things. Like you have to design people, you have to design costumes, you have to design, you also have to design, design animals. You have to design, you know, a lot of different things. So, uh, and, and on the flip side of that, it's a very specialized job where it's like, there's not really a lot of positions of like just a strict character designer or like, or a job where you're just doing character art. So if you want to do just that, you have to be pretty proficient at like doing that one thing. Um, and you really have to show it in your portfolio. So I think definitely, of course, you know, it goes without saying you have to have uh, strong draftsmanship and you have to have the ability to, um, you know, show expressions in your characters and be able to have characters that people can connect with um you know that, that almost goes without saying and then on top of that you have to have you have to come correct and like have uh well organized work like things that things that like are presentable <laughs> i think is is the word whereas where it doesn't look like uh you know it looks like you spent time on it and like even just things like putting together a website will help you a little bit more you know as a professional i don't have a website but like I, i've just been using instagram and ArtStation. but i think it definitely helps with presentation you know it's probably it's probably hindered me because i haven't had a website but um but i i think uh, definitely coming correct with uh the the different kinds of assets that would be expected of you as a character designer um I think that's that's a big part of it. Yeah, I mean, in your case, I mean, it was different. It was a different time, and you also mm. were physically near the places that you kind of, you know, worked with, I guess. So, I mean, it was a bit of a different, but, you know, I, I guess even if you were, like, you know, at the time again, you know, right now, like 18, 19, 20, something year old, I don't know, I don't know whatever you were when you got into industry exactly. Mm. Um, but any age you were, even if you're right now, you're absolutely right. A, a website in the end is super important. It is like, yeah. And um, what are you working on right now that you can tell us about? What kind of project is it? I mean, of course, if there's something that's NDA involved, we can skip <laughs> right past this question. Or unfortunately, you know. I mean, besides Secret of the Mogwai, everything I've worked I've worked on has been pretty NDA. Um, I'm going to start teaching again in fall, uh, but all my yeah, but if, everything else is kind of. It's kind of under NDA right now, so I can't really talk about right, it. Yeah, I mean, some of my personal projects, I do want to do more Twitch streaming and like do more online podcasts. Um, I was planning on doing something with my friend Vinod, who I used to work with, Vinod Rams. Um, uh, he was an artist I worked with at uh, Motiga Studios, which is a game studio that we kind of um, that we were both character designers on, and uh, so just talking with him is really fun. For, for me so I, I was thinking maybe I would actually try my hand at podcast so maybe you can give me some tips later <laughs> but um, yeah sure yeah, that's kind of what I had planned right now yeah actually for streaming it's not that bad of an idea because I think your art style kind of fits the colors and everything fits fits for you know the audience that's 
might you know cross over from other categories on Twitch, you know, to art category. You oh, know? sure. Especially if I was doing fan art or something, it would be pretty yeah, <laughs> be exactly. <laughs> and also, you have TikTok and other pets. That's kind oh, of the appeal of the stream as well, you know. I do. I I can do a lot of animal exhibition. I can bring up my other no, snakes. I actually have pets. an idea. You could. What? Does it have a tank? Personal tank. Yeah, yeah, you can enclosure. put a set up a camera in the tank and set up a device. It's oh, not that hard. It? No, listen, listen, no, 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 listen. Oh no! Um, but just okay. on the side on the corner of your stream, there's like a footage of that thing. And oh. listen, anytime oh. someone subscribes, like a pellet or one of those ah. sausages gets dropped. I think that's that's really good. That's actually a you really know? good idea. I think I've seen things like that. Yeah. And my lizard might get obese. <laughs> oh yeah, but definitely that. I'll yep. make the treats really tiny. Oh, but like, ooh, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, so that's it's like smart. And and the dig, dig dog's just gonna be sitting there, just like waiting, just like mm-hmm. waiting for for someone to like pig. That would, that's a good idea. If I could find the technology for that, I would definitely it's, do that. It's not that hard at all. You can just buy a Raspberry Pi and just take it to, I don't know. It's it's not hard at all. Like yeah. honestly, I'm I'm not a super tech guy, but yeah, like you can find a friend of a friend of a friend who can deal with this stuff. Yeah, it's, okay. it's super basic tech. Don't worry. I'm sure it's been done already. I'm sure there's been like a live feed of an animal and they just like yeah, drop exactly. <laughs> no, it's just basically a signal. You just have to make like a tank full of treats, and yeah. every time a subscribe, uh, someone subscribes, it sends a signal. To the Raspberry Pi board or other board, I don't know. Like you could, you yeah. maybe not even have to use a Raspberry Pi, something like that. And the, and the signal gets sent to the device, and a pellet drops. Simple as I'm, that. I'm definitely very interested in that idea. <laughs> if I could have somewhere where my animals are on stream as well. I, I think that would be awesome. Yeah, awesome. Like I think there was Michael Reeves. I don't know if you know him. He's a famous YouTuber and streamer. Um, he's a, he's a pretty funny guy. Like I recommend everyone who watches YouTube videos if you're bored or on toilets and don't know <laughs> what to watch. Yeah. Oh, he's a toilet guy. Yeah. He's like he's like a guy you watch in the toilet. Did, did you just Google him right now? No, no, I haven't. No, I was just wondering. No, no, Michael Reeves. You, you mentioned toilet. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, of course. Like, I was just suggesting if you're bored and have nothing to watch, you can watch that. Oh, I, I do that quite often. So I'll, yeah, I'll same. Yeah. Michael Reeves. <laughs> and he on his stream, he he has a drill and he and he has a tape on tip of the drill. And every time someone subscribes, the drill spins for like ten seconds or something. Like a dumb shit like that. You know? Oh, that's cool. Actually, like he's a, a, oh, he's a super tech guy as well himself. He's a programmer and stuff like that. Oh, of course. Yeah. But it's not it's seriously not hard at all. Like you can you can even figure it out on your own from you. I would lo- yeah, I would love to be able to do something like that. I can't do it with my snakes so much because then they would be like dropping a whole mouse. Every oh time. no, no! Oh god! <laughs> every time. That'd be a very obese snake. But maybe. Maybe with yeah, this one. I don't think getting obese is the main problem with that. It's the fact that a mice gets fitted to a snake on a stream. Oh yeah, that also problem. might be an issue. They're they're not they're not alive. They're they're almost they're they're pre they're they're very they're very dead when I feed them. Yeah, <laughs> so but still the visual listen. might not yeah, be yeah, appealing no, to the yeah. audience. Yeah, snakes are not very charming to show on <laughs> yeah. to show on television. Um, I understand. All right, yeah. so the next thing is that what area beside the area you're working on right now, which is, of course, art, would you be interested to explore and learn in the future? And now, let me add a twist to this question. Not just learning stuff, like doing anything if you could. Oh, like what would I like to do in an ideal scenario? I think, hmm, not sure now. I think I had a lot more of a specific dream when I was younger. But I think now I just kind of like want to be able to create a, I want to be able to create characters that are memorable that's that's really all I, I care about I just want I just want characters that are memorable They're, you know it, a memorable character is almost like a child that like lives past you <laughs> so it's kind of like you know if you if you design something well enough and it inspires people well enough you know they'll they'll be hooked on that character for a long time and inspires them to design their own characters and think about characters or cosplay as those characters or make toys or things like that so i'm, I'm really into just uh, the idea of like creating memorable characters i think you know as, as far as like what i do like you know if it's in games or film or or animation or whatever I'm, i i don't have a 
specific um, IP or anything that I that I have in mind. I just really enjoy drawing. Like you know, I guess you know, if there was something I could do where it was just like perfect situation would be like something where i was just like maybe doing monster designs or creature designs like 24 7 that would be that would be i guess really fun to do <laughs> which i've had but in the past and it's and you know it's kind of what i do now so um yeah i think that's you know i don't i i don't not nothing's too specific um gosh what what, what could i do i i really actually you know what this is this is gonna be left field but i actually want to produce more work with my partner uh, Michelle, uh, and she, she works as a ceramicist and, um, and it would be really, I think it would be really fun to kind of explore a completely different space actually, like doing stuff on ceramics. So, you know, character art and ceramics, you know, can they gel? I've seen it happen. I've seen like really cool mugs. I've seen cool bowls, you know, ceramics being like clay and things like that. So, um, I kind of want to get into that a little bit too, because I think a lot of what I do is very like design specific and i don't really get to see the end results um you know or at least like once it's out of my hands it's like it's out of my hands like and then like other artists take it and interpret it and do their thing which is great and that's what i really like about it but i don't really have a product or a finished thing that i have you know because it's a character design is just this like nebulous idea but when you're holding a piece of ceramic or you're holding an object it's very different I think it has a different impact on when you're making things. I think a lot of a lot of like people in the entertainment industry need to work more with tactile things because it's very satisfying when you like make a thing, like when you draw on paper again, you know, or when you are able to sell a painting, you know, that's that's something a lot of digital artists have the ability to do. I know there's like NFTs and things like that nowadays, but it's just like it's just like not the same as being able to physically hand you know, an object to another person and sell it for money. I think that's a very different feeling than what I do. So I think I kind of want to explore that space a little bit more. Yeah. I actually had to Google what ceramicist is, but 10 seconds later after I Googled it, you said, oh, sir, I was like, oh, shit, yeah, it's ceramics. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And actually, an idea just that just popped to my mind is that one day if I have my own house, actually, I'm a kind of person like that, that when I have my own house, I would love to make all my dishes myself, like out of clay and oh, ceramics yeah. or, or even oh, my really? furniture's out of wood, you know, that, that could be, oh, you know, sure. that, it's, yeah. it's, it's just a fun thing building everything, you know, yourself, you know, I'm a kind of person like that. Yeah, you know? definitely. You know, I mean, like even having, having pets like this, like, like, you know, like this, this thing right here, I, you know, there's a lot of, I think a part of why I like working with animals and, you know, that would be also a cool way to explore my position is like somehow if I could work with animals, <laughs> that would be pretty cool with art, art and animals. I think that would be a cool thing to do. Um, you know, that's something I haven't really pursued is like paleo art or like, uh, nature, like naturalist art again. I think that'd be really fun, but working with you know, reptiles and things, you, you have to be pretty hands-on because there's not a lot of people that make products for the kinds of animals I take care of. So I have to like make a lot of them. And I think that's kind of gotten me into doing the DIY kind of action, you know, kind of like what that's about. I All think right. that's, that's definitely kind of helped my understanding yeah. of that. All right, so we've reached the final question of the podcast, which is sure. kind of like a segment called Final Words. And basically, all right, let me explain. Um, for oh, anyone gosh. who might, <laughs> for anyone who might listen to this podcast, I don't know when I will finish the editing and uploading of this episode. Um, but like, imagine for someone who is listening in like a week or maybe a month, maybe a year, maybe ten year, twenty year, basically any point of time in the future when it's uploaded. Mm. Right now, it's kind of like a time capsule. You have a window of time to say anything you want as a human to <laughs> oh, another boy. human that might be listening to this podcast right now. And, mm. uh, and I've come to this point. What would that message be? To help you a, b- a bit further, imagine that you have like a limited amount of time and in, you're in a space station and your capsule is about to detach forever and you're going to get lost in this voidness of the space and you have a limited time to say anything you want, you know, mm. as your as a message to a, from oh, a human to another human, you know? Okay. As a human to another human. Wow. 
I mean, okay, so I would say, you know, with especially with even my artist career and just like my whole life, I think being flexible and being adaptable has been a really big part of like my ability to be happy and stay happy. I think that's been like a big part of it. You know, if setting up expectations, uh, you know, I think is it's great to set goals and things like that, but understanding that that achieving those goals is not necessarily going to make like once you achieve that goal, it's not necessarily going to like be a lasting effect of happiness on you. So I think you always have to have something in front of you to do. So even when you start achieving your goals, I think you still need to be adaptable to like what's next. And also like if you can't reach those goals, you know, then what else can you do? Or maybe, you know, when you are near those goals and you realize, oh, these goals are not what I built them up to be, they'll change your perspective on a lot of things. Um, you know, and I, I guess, I guess when I'm thinking about like where my career has gone, like I really didn't, a lot of it was not very planned, <laughs> uh, but I knew I wanted to be an artist. And a lot of it has been me kind of coasting and kind of, um, kind of accepting new ideas, accepting new things, just kind of like taking on new projects just to learn. And for me, that's been very satisfying. It's a very human thing to just want to like learn and adapt for me, you know, in my opinion to just like, uh, just be flexible in terms of like what's coming uh, in terms of the obstacles that are going to enter your life. Cause you just can't predict anything that's going to happen. You know, family member passes away or, or like, uh, or your studio closes down or like you win the lottery. Like, you know, there's so many things that can change the course of your life. And I think like being rigid to a specific idea is great for motivating you to do, to like maybe get out of a certain circumstance or something like that. But you still have to be flexible in terms of like, um, like being being available for yourself to 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 to, to have room to move because otherwise I think if you really put yourself in a box it also kind of for me I I think one of the worst things you can do is not be able to um, think outside of like the, your own perspective like I, it's really important that I get out of my own head and have some like outside perspective on myself and I kind of do that with art and I kind of do that with my relationships like you know I talk to people about about, uh, you know, things that are going on in my life. And, and I think being able to be flexible to change, uh, you know, in all, in all aspects of life, like emotionally, uh, in your, in your professional experience, like, like being able to, being able to change is like so, so important. And I think I'm really learning to appreciate that well into my thirties now is <laughs> like, it's like different uh, as time keeps passing. Like you just have to keep moving and changing and adapting with the time. So I think, um, yeah, be flexible, be adaptable, you know, be, be like the lizard, be like the lizard, <laughs> adaptable. Uh... Wait, is that a sound of a snake in the background? Some hissing, I'm hearing hissing from your side. Oh, no, sorry. I think that might be like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. No, no, no. You don't need to like, I think that, do you hear that? I, I think it's ceramic? like a lawnmower. I think it's a oh. lawnmower. <laughs> oh. Sorry. Hey, it's fine, it's fine. Oh, my mic is pretty sensitive. Oh, yeah, it's actually a pretty good mic. And all right, thank you so much for coming by on this episode. Where can people contact you if they had a question? Is your Instagram DMs okay if I put an exception? I think Instagram is fine. Yeah, Instagram first. Yeah, I think it's a good place to hit me up. All right, awesome. And thank you so much for coming by. And thank you to anyone who tuned in and listened to this episode. I hope you did enjoy this and also enjoyed the presence of the dog as well. <laughs> Our special guest as well. Um, yeah, so Bye. thank you, thank you everyone for listening. If there's any comments or you know suggestions please leave them in the comment section you know whether on castbox youtube or instagram or even send it to me on my personal page our podcast page i'll definitely check them all out and you know do keep them in mind for the future episodes with that said take care everyone and see you in the next episode bye bye, bye.